the current vision and North Star are very um, motivating to me because it kind of brings the essence of what I came from with Bandag, but also a pivot on a new horizon that maybe we didn't think was really attainable five, six years ago. And so this, this gravitational pull towards mobility, connected vehicles, electric, and this whole software digital thread that touches the physical good that we make, uh, that's pretty cool. That is Scott Damon. He's gone from engineer to executive and is now the new chief operating officer for Bridgestone Americas. Hi there, I'm Keith Cauley, and this is Thrive, a Bridgestone Americas podcast that explores our company through compelling conversations with teammates across our organization. In addition to digging deeper into some of our employee resource groups and our North Star strategy, some of the feedback we heard from season one of this podcast was to go one-on-one with more of our leaders to learn more about their journey, their perspective, priorities, and take on what's happening in our company. After talking with our CEO, Paolo Ferrari, we might as well next go to the number two in command. Scott was named Bridgestone America's new COO on June 1st of 2021, and he's leading the charge to tackle emerging trends and challenges across our operations. He's armed with some good factoids and sports analogies to help explain just where we are and where we're going. We hope you enjoy this conversation. We are joined by Scott Damon, Chief Operating Officer of Bridgestone Americas. Uh, kind of a fresh title, Scott. As of uh, June 1st, as, as we're talking to you now, uh, in the first month of the new role, but obviously a person who is very familiar to Bridgestone Americas. Uh, thanks for taking the time, sir, to, to talk through a, a lot of different topics with us today. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on, Keith. Uh, pretty excited. Obviously a new challenge with the new title, but uh, hopefully I can uh, be up to the task based on what people have asked me to do. But I'm excited about this podcast for sure. Absolutely. And I think we can kind of map through, there's been a lot of different titles for you through the years as you've seen a lot of different areas of the Bridgestone Enterprise. I think that is something that makes you maybe a little bit unique compared to a lot of people who maybe spend a lot of their time in one role or one department or business, but you seem to have been uh, exposed to a lot of the enterprise. Can you walk us through a little bit of your career um, really in and outside of Bridgestone and what that path has been like? Yeah, so uh, I actually started my career as a uh, tire engineer with the Goodyear Kelly organization. So I actually came to Bridgestone through several paths in the tire industry. So I'm probably one of the the few people here that I've had their entire career span through the tire industry. But I actually started at the Kelly Springfield organization as a as a truck tire engineer. Spent about four years there. Then one of the great ironies of my life started with that pivot. I didn't want to work for a large tire company based in Akron. So I moved my way west to uh, Bandag and worked through several positions within Bandag in engineering first and then moving into marketing roles. And I'd had various marketing roles throughout my career at Bandag. And really, I would say that was a pivotal time in my career where I actually understood how the business worked and also had touch points with the customer. And and I had moved from engineering to marketing just based on, uh, I didn't really have a passion for the technical side, but I still liked dealing with the technical side of the business. And uh, the the roles in Bandag really helped me understand how the end-to-end enterprise actually worked. And certainly, 
did that from 96 to 2007. And then Bridgestone, of course, bought Bandag in 2007. And my ironic path in my career of not wanting to work for a large tire company with a presence in Akron came full circle. And uh, that's how I ended up at Bridgestone. And then certainly within Bridgestone, most of my career had been spent on that commercial truck tire side or retreading side. And Bridgestone really offered me the opportunity to experience other aspects of the business, whether it was running uh, the Speedco quick lube and oil and tire change service network for commercial to our industrial products group uh, with air springs and a global presence to coming back into commercial to even experience this side on the functional operational side of the core tire business. So certainly I've had a, an opportunity to see various aspects of how the organization runs and certainly meet a lot of people. And so that networking, along with uh, just getting to sit in a lot of seats, certainly helped me prepare for this role right now. Yeah. Is it something where when you like maybe were in college and you mapped out like your future, did you always see yourself as I want to be a leader of an organization or, you know, a, a top level executive or you, you kind of came in with the degree in engineering, right? And kind of started on that path. How did it eventually, I guess, evolve or was that what you had kind of planned out for yourself to follow? No, I certainly didn't see myself at, <laughs> at this level. I, what I did find out early in my career was trying to kind of get to that zip code of what you're passionate about. And I really liked the B2B marketing side of Bandag. Again, I like dealing with end users. I liked understanding the channel strategy through a franchise dealer network. And I think allowing myself in that marketing, and it's not the traditional branding communication side of marketing, but the product roadmap, the technology, the business acumen, the dealer development. I, I like being at the epicenter of all the touch points it had in an organization. And then as I grew, uh, you liked helping define a strategic direction for the company, which at Bandag, that marketing group had that function. And I really gravitated there. And then I think from there, it just grew into other roles. And I think uh, when I came to Bridgestone, I kind of saw myself as maybe wanting to get a general management type role. And I love those groups like Industrial Products or even Speedco at the time, where you really had the full functional and uh, sales organization reporting to you. So it, it really wasn't just a sales role, but really a, a general management role where you got to understand how procurement and logistics and supply chain worked and those other aspects of running an end-to-end business. And those smaller businesses within Bridgestone give you that opportunity to learn those where you may not have, have grew up in that function yourself. Yeah. What did you take from, I guess, some of those journeys? You, you talked about the areas that you were passionate about and how it led to other opportunities. But I guess now as you enter in your COO role and you were before this group president over operations, you know, what do you take from aspects of your journey that have helped you in maybe these new larger leadership executive roles that you didn't really have mapped out in advance? How did you, I guess pull something to transition and, and attack these challenges? Well, I think the more responsibility you have, there has to be this level of a culture of communication and trust that exists within leadership and cascades throughout. And the more broader the responsibility is, I think you realize how important it is to have the proper team around you and as well as the communication and connection points across the organization. And that's paramount to being successful. And I think you learn that the broader that that responsibility becomes. 
Yeah, I'm sure it definitely changes when you go from, like you said, maybe some of the smaller businesses with smaller teams into, hey, the enterprise is, is really big outside the walls of a main corporate office for sure. So. Yeah, and certainly sequencing and understanding priorities and getting everyone to swim and, and uh, row in the same direction, it, it certainly can be a challenge. And looking at it from an enterprise view rather than a vertical functional view. Yeah. Well, let's talk, I guess, a little bit about maybe current events then. Uh, we've journeyed through kind of your career to this point, And now as COO, what are kind of the top priority areas and challenges that you are, are focused on? Well, I would say right now, everyone's pretty familiar that we feel like the pandemic is, I don't want to say in the rearview mirror, but we've we've managed the crisis and we're preparing for just regenerating the earning power of the business. But what I would say in the operation side, especially in the core business, both in North and South America, it still continues to be somewhat of a grind. If I was using an analogy, it's like, um, it's like watching a golfer that's constantly scrambling outside the fairway, but it can still make par. And I would say that's kind of what it feels like in core operations right now. And I would say some of the big things we're tackling is supply continuity. So raw material supply for our factories, as well as finished goods supply continuity, just continues to be a challenge given the, the uptick in demand we've seen coming out of the second quarter of last year. And it's a daily fight for our procurement teams, our, our global freight and logistics teams, to deal with that. So that supply continuity, the availability of the supply, all being things we tackle and fight every day. I would say on any given day, it's nothing for our team to have 15 to 20 raw materials that we have a line of sight that may cause one of our plants to have challenges or even shut down temporarily. So we are, are still in the heart of that crisis side of the operation. Uh, if people aren't familiar with the global freight issues, which aren't just tire industry related, but global uh, economic, retail, manufacturing, industrial related, that continues to be a challenge. If I would drop a factoid here for the podcast, we average around 2,000 containers a month from Asia, and we're lucky to get a confirmation on less than half of those right now. And our prices for those containers has went up fivefold in the last 90 days. So those are things that our team are dealing with. And, and then certainly with the pandemic, we shut several of our plants down in North and South America. So just ramping up the plants and having the available labor to meet the demand is also a challenge. So all of those things are what I would say are priorities for the organization right now. Well, it just seems like a simple checklist. You just go down the line, right? <laughs> take take care of them all one by one. But what, what I would say, I know you're not a big mathematician, but I would say uh, it's a testament to the people we have and yeah. the commitment they have for Bridgestone because we wouldn't be where we're at and certainly where people wouldn't uh, see what we deal with on a daily basis without a lot of these teammates that continue to uh, make it successful for us, even given these challenges. Yeah. Now, the, the, the math, I was going to say, uh, it's, the numbers seem big. I'm not an expert there. But the golf analogy, I can definitely get. Uh, you, you look at the result on the scorecard at the end, and, and uh, you never sometimes realize all the, the ways that it goes to get to that number. But uh, for sure, yeah, an and adventure you know how that continuing. Feels, <laughs> and you know how that feels, Keith, because you, uh, 
you know, you get par, but boy, every hole was a grind. And so, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it's, it always feels good at the end, but in the middle of, of play, it's quite tough. Indeed. Indeed. Well, you talked about kind of where the pandemic has shifted to a degree where we're looking to, to regenerate that earning power. Those are some of the challenges in the business. What is the overall business outlook, I guess, for Bridgestone in the industry look like as we hit this mid-year point of 21 as we're having this conversation? Well, what I would say at a broader perspective is the business still looks quite strong. Um, we, we keep revising our forecast higher for our, our global parent and Bridgestone Japan, and it continues to be strong in several businesses. I first call out that the consumer replacement business is continually to be strong, especially in, in our high rim diameter, the larger rim diameter, larger profit tires. We're having a hard time keeping pace with the overall demand because, again, we shut down our factories for six weeks last year, and we're trying to ramp up as well as secure supply from our Asian sources. So we do see that uh, recovering, certainly as we get to 2022, but it is still a fight. But that business is very attractive. Even with us selling less tires in consumer replacement, we still should be able to make significantly more money because we're playing the mix strategy of making sure that we have the right coverage of tires that are higher rim diameter or ones that make more money. The commercial truck market, both in retreading and replacement, continues to be quite strong. And also our agricultural business is also quite strong. So I would say those are areas we see a lot of great outlook. The OE business is continuing to be a struggle both on cars and trucks and that's just simply the challenges in the supply chain that we talked about earlier and their availability of some of the components to make the vehicles again the demand is high but the consumer and the commercial vehicle production is not because of that supply shortage one other factoid i'd point out there is i think the average consumer vehicle inventory on hand in North America is between 70 or 75 days. And I think right now it's under 30 days inventory on hand for vehicles. So if you're looking for a price discount or trying to buy a new car, you're certainly not going to have much supply and you're certainly not going to get a great price on it. Yep. We, we hear a lot of how limited the supply is and then also the demand right now for used cars, the, the whole market. It's just quite a an interesting time if you're out there trying to find a new vehicle right now. It's uh, it's pretty limited what you can find. But uh, I think one of the vocabulary items you just touched on, I love that you're bringing the facts, the factoids are in, but would love to talk about a definition of, you mentioned mix strategy. This is a, a topic of mix. We talked to Ricardo about it a bit in season one, but seems to be, again, such a very integral part of our approach, but at the same time, something that is a little bit nebulous maybe for some people across the organization. So when you say mixed strategy, what is it to you? How do you define it to uh, a casual conversation person? No, I'd probably say the most simplistic way I would describe mix end to end, and it's in the thread and the DNA of, of the A business or the operations of Bridgestone now within BSAM, is basically starting with we want to develop and manufacture a Dantatsu product, so a best-in-class product. We want to make sure that we prioritize our production capacity and capability to make that Dantatsu product. Then we want to make sure that we have the appropriate coverage of inventory and supply for that product. So we want to over-index on the availability of that product so when customers order it, they never have to stock out or back order it. And then, of course, when it gets to the customer, we sell it at a premium price. So 
that whole strategy of making a Dantatsu product, prioritizing your production capacity and capability to make that product, taking your supply chain and making sure you have more inventory than you would normally have on average of any product. And then when you sell it, you sell it at a premium price. I mean, that in a nutshell is what I would call the end-to-end mixed strategy. There's nuance to that, but that's probably the most simplistic way that I would describe it. But it can take on different adjacent connotations. So mix can also mean making sure that I'm selling more Firestone than Tier 3, Tier 4, and TBR, which is what you see now in their strategy on Firestone Classics. Mix can be also around using a Bridgestone brand product and then retreading it several times. So I think you're seeing mix take on some variants from the traditional term, but the way I describe it is kind of how we align the functions and the sales organizations and operations on managing mix. One thing I would call out just in consumer replacement that you can see is that year to date, we've averaged in terms, if you can isolate, so that's again, selling things that perform better that make more money versus selling things at work. We've had about $50 million of mixed positive variants just in consumer replacement year to date. And I think Paulo challenges us long-term that he'd like to see that number north of $100 million every year where we're driving positive mixed variants in the consumer commercial businesses north of $100 million. So that's certainly something that's shown that it is working and we're seeing it bear fruit in 21 as we've started that strategy. Yeah. I know across the organization, there are a lot of projects in place that kind of feed into delivering success in that that area of mix, um, whether it's at our, our operations plants or, as you said, at the, at the dealer in the store level, the supply chain. As we go into operations, well, there's a lot of big projects taking place, a lot of investments in technology in our different areas. We talked a little bit about that as we talked tires uh, with, with some of our plant teammates in season one. One of the big projects that we've been hearing about in different ways is modularity. And it's another one of those words that I, I thought maybe you could help define for us here, because I know it's been like a multi-year project that, in my understanding, at least seems like it would be very impactful to that mixed strategy to some degree. Yes? Correct. Um, and I think one of the big things around defining modularity in a simplistic format so so that everyone can understand is basically you're trying to simplify all the upstream components and raw materials that are used to basically assemble and produce a tire and make them common across several size ranges. And so in its most simplistic form, the less complexity we have in terms of all those sub-assemblies and all those components and all those materials we're using upstream from tire assembly and curing that we can make common across a like tire size or a like uh, application, it simplifies the manufacturing process so that you can drive more efficiency both in changeovers or basically in terms of what you're buying and all those areas in between that can drive that simplicity. And there has to be a nice harmony to that, right? So if you're gonna drive simplicity in manufacturing, you also want differentiation and Dantatsu product performance. So there has to be a harmony between making great products that you can sell at, at premium prices and allow differentiation in the marketplace against the simplicity of manufacturing. And so you don't wanna drive complexity for complexity's sake, but on the flip side, you have to make sure that you can drive that differentiation and that Dantatsu performance. So that's modularity is trying to balance where I don't sacrifice 
premium performance and premium pricing, but I don't drive and create headaches in manufacturing on what I would call complexity that I didn't need. And I would say maybe that pendulum swung a little bit uh, to complexity that I didn't need uh, in the last decade, and we're trying to kind of to repivot it back. And that's what I was going to ask to clarify a little bit, right? Because there's some of that that maybe is out of our control. The industry, the OEs go in that direction, and there's a demand for all of these different variant sizes of tires. Is that an accurate assessment that now it's like it was creating so much complexity, we had to find a way to right size all of it, maybe not just for us, but as an industry. Is that correct? I would say at the industry, but if we were honest and transparent with with Bridgestone, took a look in the mirror, we're probably more complex than any of our competitors on this modularity strategy, whether it's in consumer or commercial. And certainly my background coming from somewhere else, I can tell you that we are. And uh, OE certainly adds some of that today, but I would say we had lots of opportunity just in the replacement side of our business to address that now, and that's what you hear. Um, sometimes you'll hear the, the R&D team or the supply chain team use a Gen Zero technology. So it's just basically taking the portfolio of things we produce today and making sure that we're scheduling and planning them so that they have this common approach. Since they've been designed to be common, how do I get them common when I set up the factory, run the products, and produce them? And so there's a lot of work going on there. And I would say right now, Joliet, Aiken, and Wilson all have extensive efforts on just basically taking Gen Zero technology and running them in a, in a piloted module form. And so over time, we're measuring how we'll, we'll, we'll show the efficiency of that, and then we'll start transitioning more of the product line in that fashion. And then in parallel, I think Nazar's team in Akron is working on, all right, give me some technology that can even simplify the OE piece of this, and then we'll bring that in and that 2024 timeframe so that it can drive even more efficiency in production while still differentiating on the needs of the original equipment uh, manufacturer or our replacement market. Yep. Just ongoing optimization. We see a lot of that focus as we talk to, to people that are out in the in the manufacturing areas. You mentioned, you know, a couple of our plant sites right there. What Are there any other kind of big projects that are moving through right now or have had kind of breakthrough milestone moments that you, you can think to highlight at this at this juncture? Well, I would say some of the biggest uh, projects just in overall operations. So we've completed all the warehouses that were factory direct shipping in our consumer factories in Joliet, Wilson, and Aiken. That was a big accomplishment through COVID. And so that certainly allows us to ship more truckload products to our aftermarket customers or OEMs from those factories. So that's certainly something we were proud of. We're completing a lot of uh, decisions we made in 2015 just on adding capability for more high value added, high rim diameter, high profit products in those factories. So we're completing phase five of the Joliet Wilson expansions. We're in the middle of our fifth and sixth tandem mixer uh, expansions, both in Juliet and, and Bahia will be the fifth and sixth. So you're going to see a whole deployment in North and South America on tandem mixing, which is part of that material technology stack that we talk about that delivers on the A business. Um, another big one everyone should be aware of is we just completed a small expansion in Warren that allow us to produce 9,400 tires a day. MasterCore, which we heard a lot of talk about two years ago, we just launched our 57-inch at Aiken. So that's the second big, large, giant radial tires that we produce in off-road. And just in general, um, 
just a capacity up coming out of the pandemic. Uh, one of the big areas that we should be very proud of is our Latin American team added almost 2.5 million tires pivoting this year in capacity versus what they budgeted last year so they could meet the, the demand in North America and all this through dealing with the, the COVID challenges that they've had throughout this year. So those are what I would say are some huge wins organizationally uh, that we've accomplished. Yeah, directionally forward. I know there's there's been a lot of moving pieces, as you said, over the last year and the 18 months specific to uh, battling the pandemic, but at the same time, rolling out the North Star and seeing a lot of these uh, continued changes and projects advance. Uh, it, we've seen a lot of success in those areas. It's great to hear. Yeah. You know, Keith, one, one thing I would say is it's not a lot of big wins that, you know, those are always things you can talk about on, on a podcast or in a sure. presentation, but I would say a lot of, there's a lot of good singles that everyone's been hitting that aren't really recognized recognized too. And um, they add up, they add up, right. And they, they drive runs across the plate. And I would say there's as many or more of them uh, as the big ones that I just described. Yeah. Well, I do want to ask you a question about sustainability as it becomes, you know, a continued focus for us. Not It's always been a big part of Bridgestone, but especially in the North Star and the way that we're on this sustainable solutions journey. Uh, I know you are a guy who came from Bandag and the retreading business is such a big portion, a big opportunity area for us when it comes to just the sustainable operations and product business for us. What does the future hold for retreading at Bridgestone and how does it play into sustainability for us as a whole? Well, I guess uh, retreading was uh, sustainable before sustainable was cool here <laughs> in the U.S. Yeah. But um, the trendsetter, you know, the, the, the trendsetting business that uh, probably no one thought of. I, you know, I would say I'm very passionate about Bandag. I always was. And it's interesting to see that the the flavor of, of sustainability is kind of coming back in the vernacular of companies and saying that we have to start being good stewards of society, but also something that's also good for business. And, you know, I actually heard Shu the other day describe it this way, and it's very simplistic, like you're talking about mix, where our business model in the future centers around something where retreading and sustainability have to be at the center of that strategy. And it's around, we want to make tires, we want to sell tires, we want to use the tire several times because it's good for society and good for the customer. And then when the tire is not usable anymore, we want to break it down into several forms that can either be pivoted into other business platforms that can use those components, whether it's steel, whether it's some of uh, the recycled rubber, etc. Or we want to break that part down even further and then in a circular way, use that as a raw material input back into the tire again. So, you know, retreading is at the heart of that reusing something we made several times and then breaking it down again. And so I don't know how we can't think that's going to be critical for the strategy going forward. And it's taking markets that have been basically driven by obsolescence of cheaper tires coming in and then reinvigorating uh, potentials there where people see the viability of those goods being able to be reused several times with also a lens towards uh, a sustainable future. And so that's great. If you're, if you're a Bandai guy at heart or retreading guy at heart, I think this was always the vision of where this could, what it could become. And now it's actually, we're actually seeing it again. 
Yeah. In the internal side, there's slides and diagrams and presentations that, that puts it in a very clear way. You just said from, from Ishibashi-san to say uh, what a sustainable solutions vision means as we roll up the, through the North Star there. So thanks for thanks for that. Um, I, I think to close, I, I'd love to go back to one more maybe on the personal side and a reflection from you on uh, your career at Bridgestone to this point, and I guess career in the industry at this point, but then looking forward in your new executive leadership role, what is your motivation? What drives you and, and what is it about coming to work at Bridgestone every day that, that makes you excited to attack the day? Well, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in Bridgestone's culture. Uh, one of the things I've always been fortunate enough to see at Bridgestone is it has this, I think it's a more humble culture when it comes to customers. And I've always, I've always appreciated that. Uh, I know it's not a perfect company. If anyone worked somewhere else, they kind of always think the grass is greener, but I always like the authenticity and the intent of Bridgestone to try to be better. And so it always promises that they're going to listen and try to be better. And I think that kind of is a thread through many of the teammates that I've interacted with. And so what motivates me is just the people and some of my closest friends outside of work are people that I've met at Bridgestone. And so there's certainly a loyalty to the broader company around that, but also to the people that are in the trenches with you every day. And um, I would say that motivates me. Now, I would say just strategically, and being here 25 years and part of an acquisition, that the current vision and North Star are very um, motivating to me because it kind of brings the essence of what I came from with Bandag, but also a, a pivot on... Um, a new horizon that maybe we didn't think was really attainable five, six years ago. And so this, this gravitational pull towards mobility, connected vehicles, electric, and this whole software digital thread that touches the physical good that we make, uh, that's pretty cool. And so I think both of those kind of motivate me as a leader, a, a great vision coupled with great people and um, that you're also friends with. So just in general, I'd say that those are, those are what drive me. Yeah, that's the other mixed strategy to pursue right there. <laughs> I like that. Well, Scott, thank you so much for the time. Uh, it's it, You only have two or three things on the checklist, so we'll let you get back to tackling the tackling the challenges at hand. Um, but appreciate you, you talking through some of this with us and, and giving us the insight here on the podcast. Thanks a bunch, Keith. Appreciate the time. With our North Star vision guiding the way, Scott paints a cautiously optimistic picture for the road ahead. But of course, we're still certainly very aware of some pressing challenges that need to be addressed both in our industry and beyond. He's seen a lot though in his last 25 years with the company and believes strongly that our people and our purpose will help us continue to get the job done. We hope you enjoyed this chat with Scott and remember, you can go back and listen to all of our previous episodes, including the ones with CEO Paolo Ferrari and other leaders. You can find them wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, follow, and subscribe while you're there, and feel free to share with your family and friends. As always, you can also send us an email at thrivepodcast at bfusa.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Keith Colley, telling you to keep on keeping on, and remember that at Bridgestone, Today, tomorrow, together, we thrive. Be good, everybody.